0: We have to be grown-ups. Jeff Brown like wouldn't grown-ups. recognize you if you were acting like a grown up. I know. I know. I remember the first time I talked to Jeff Brown. I, I was so smitten. It's his voice. <laughs> like it's a, it's like a viper, you know. And what? He, that's his horrible. voice is a viper and it's like it's like wrapping around you and you don't even notice. And you're like that's a python. What are, sure. Well, you know, it's a snake. So what's the difference between a viper and a python?
1: So the python's the one that wraps you up and squishes you, right? And doesn't a viper just bite you?
0: Mm. I don't know. Welcome to The Backpack Show, where we are also talking about, uh, what's that, herpetology, herpetology? I don't know. Snakes. Uh, And Jeff Brown today. We're going to talk to the author and podcast host of Read to Lead.
1: In the interest know. of bringing you insights about business success, that's not such a terribly unusual place to find insights about business success, I feel like.
0: But. Well, it, it is interesting, though, that a guy goes, You know, I really like reading books. I think I'm going to do a podcast about reading books. You know why I would not recommend a podcast about reading books? And you know what he did? Made an empire out of it. <laughs> I just shut the show down. Show's over. Hi, everyone. Tim Kitzer
2: from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, welcoming you to The Backpack Show. Your
1: host, Chris Brogan, Curry Gorgon, Boom Shakalaka, Backpack show. I will um, tell you that running those buttons when you're not here is surprisingly tricky. Like I have it, discovered they get lost in the pile.
0: And they changed where yeah. they put some stuff, you know? They did. They've changed some stuff. So we're having trouble going to Twitch too. That's I, okay. Don't worry about it. I don't, don't care. Nope. I feel like the only people over there are Dan doing us a favor. So he's asleep. <laughs> Yeah. So, Jeff Brown, Jeff Brown, Jeff Brown. I don't remember when I first met him. It might have been like 2012 or he's something. You've
1: been like saying that. for years he's the best interviewer.
0: He's my favorite interviewer besides in me, the world, Besides you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's um he's really really good. The, the thing is Jeff's very thorough and um I thought about that when I was having him on the show and I thought there's no way I'm going to be able to Interview like Jeff Brown, Jeff Brown will say things like, you know, when you were seven years old, I seem to recall that you had this situation where you were eating a Pop Tart and your mom had a yellow dress on and she said. But no, like in another life, you might have been a private investigator. We don't really, know. Truly. So I don't know. I, that's not a great place to start from, but that's my real memory of Jeff Brown interviewing me it was like, you know.
1: Well, let's tell everyone that I said, why is he your favorite interviewer? And you said, because he does this insane prep. It just makes for this cr- incredible interview. I'm like, then why don't you do what he does? And you're like, because I don't want
0: right. to. <laughs> right. I
1: don't want to do that much work.
0: So I know his first radio station was WXIR. And I think there's a few others in there. Let's get that's
1: confirmation
0: that's on that. i got. First radio Where? station, WXIR, do I have that? Uh, it,
2: it was actually the second radio station oh that I Yeah, yeah.
0: We'll
1: f- fix See? your link. <laughs> you were wrong. So just bask in your wrongness over there.
2: It, it's the first one that I really care about. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh,
0: okay, okay.
2: The, the um, first one actually spit me uh, chewed me up and spit me out after a few months. So <laughs> we can forget about that.
0: <laughs> no, one of the first things I wonder, well, let me ask you this question. So you clearly have this incredible radio DJ voice. Does that detract in some way? Do you ever kind of get that feeling of like, I wish just once ever someone wouldn't mention my incredible voice, <laughs> but do you like your voice?
2: I I do. Um, and I I appreciate uh, compliments about it for sure. Um, but I will say that, um, I, it does get in the way sometimes. It's hard for me to do, say, voiceover work. I have to work really hard. I, uh, when I do voiceover work, I do get some occasional work. But it's very specific kind of work. I have trouble not sounding like an announcer all the time. And so, I, you know, if, if, if work calls for, for actual acting skills, that's a stretch for me. But if it, call, it calls for authoritative, uh, you know, things that, you know, similar words, things like that, then, then yeah, I can I can handle that pretty well. But anything beyond that, I'm I, I'm outside my comfort zone for sure. So it's a hindrance in that way, I guess, if if, if you want to call it that.
0: And radio stations changed sort of uh, over the over the years, and somewhere around the '90s is about the cutoff. To mm. now, now if I just heard about the School of Broadcasting you went to, that you were the first student of. But if you know <laughs> before that, I would have presumed Connecticut School of Broadcasting because, like, every one of their. Uh, people who left with a host uh, talent all like were trained into a very similar voice there's certain things mm-hmm. and cadences and styles that you're brought to that but Jeff suddenly... was going to go
1: into music education he I was on know a completely different path he was
0: on a whole other path mm-hmm. but th- but that voice type suddenly came out of vogue did that happen yeah. in your time on air or did it matter were you allowed to still just be the Jeff Brown voice that we know
2: Yeah. uh, When I was young and really a fan of radio, before I was in radio, you're right. That was Those big booming voices were the thing. And within a year or two after I began in radio, that began to kind of fall out of favor, especially on the advertising side of the equation, by and large, not completely. I mean, you still hear some of those kinds of voices today on radio and certain, you know, car ads, for example, Sunday, 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 (laughs) you know, like. Or Whatever, we'll, we'll sell you the whole seat, but you're only going to need the edge, you know, stuff like that. Uh, concert promos and whatnot, but um, but yeah, it kind of fell out of favor. Um, and what radio really wants now and what, what advertisers want is people who sound like regular people, you know, who who sound normal and and not these <laughs> these big boomy an- announcer voices. And so, so that was yeah, that was a struggle for me early on in my career. Um, and, and the, the hard work for me and working with talent coaches and and consultants and people like that was bringing your personality into it. That was far more important than what kind of voice you had. When, when I work with podcasters, as I sometimes do, so many people are worried about how they sound. So nobody really cares about how you sound as much as they care about, do they relate to you? Are you approachable? Are you relatable? Are you all those things? Um, and, and, and if you can, can bring personality to the equation, you're going to go a lot farther than than worrying about you know just your voice
1: elizabeth says chris has a great voice too but jeff's is buttery too but acting is harder <laughs> than it looks
0: yes it is yeah,
1: chris does not need your compliments he's very <laughs> Still, you know,
0: living i'm already him. really into me <laughs>
1: <laughs> glad to Hi, see paul. you back at a reasonable european time says paul and diane brogan mama brogan likes your observation jeff
0: Mm-hmm. Jeff, when we first talked, one of the things that I had known is that you had had a long career. For a guy who was going to go into music, you didn't. Uh, mm-hmm. You had a long career in radio. I think WAYM was your last one. That's um, Okay. But then they sort of unceremoniously uh, put you out at some really random time. At the end of a year, I think it was, they, they said, hey, don't come back in January. <laughs> and you're on your own. Yeah. I, that's my rough remembrance of mm-hmm. what happened. And then you had to decide what you were going to be. That was a tumultuous time. What did you do? Where Mm -hmm. where did your brain go?
2: Yeah, I had been sort of tinkering with a side hustle for a few years before that. And and I'd had it in my head that, you know, I wasn't going to do radio for the rest of my life. I had come to the conclusion a couple of years before this happened that someday I was going to move beyond that. I just didn't know what that was going to be yet. And so I was just playing with a little side hustle where I would help small businesses with mobile apps and websites. Many small businesses, you know, mobile apps were, we're coming on strong. This is like the late, you know, last decade, 2009, 10 and small businesses by and large thought that that was a a playground they couldn't participate in because it was, you know, cost prohibitive. And so I was trying to change some of that, not with code. And I'm not that smart. You know, I was using online tools that uh, allowed me to white label a lot of things, but nonetheless I was, I was helping uh, small businesses cross that bridge on the side. And so when I lost my job, I did get some severance. So there was a little bit of an on-ramp there, but i also just dumped or jumped rather not dumped jumped head first into uh, this side hustle and the cool thing was within 30 days of doing that 30 days of being let go uh, i had invoiced now it's one thing to invoice it and another thing to have it in your hand i realized but i had already invoiced twice what my take home pay was in 30 days from my radio job and when that happened i was like well this is i'm going to be okay i i i for years, it felt like you know, my, the entirety of my, my, my career really was like, I'm, I'm always going to work for somebody, you know, uh, security is a job and benefits and, and vacation days and all that stuff. But after having it taken away from me in radio, especially so many times, I began to question, well, how secure is this when the decision of one person can, can, can end it? And so um, when that job loss came, that was sort of the, the straw for me, the push, the shove I needed to. It's time to to do this thing you've been thinking about doing here. You know, here's your sign <laughs> kind of a thing. And so I never looked for a job after that. I just knew I'd make it some way somehow.
1: Decided to talk purdy for yourself instead of someone else. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Something like that. Talk buttery. <laughs> talk buttery to me,
1: Gia. <laughs> <laughs> buttery. <laughs> So that's a fun fact is whenever I make it I make a joke about having an ASMR voice and I'll be my name is butter when I do that I'm like this is butter you're cooking oh, with butter I love it I love it yeah it's my name <laughs> so when did books like were you just always a reader and the two you're broadcasting and you're reading mm. just sort of automatically came together naturally or did you make a conscious choice to do that because you thought there was a need for that podcast
2: yeah, yeah. I, I loved reading as a child. My mom would drag us uh, kids to the library as a kid she would read to us. I remember my mom buying something called the Life Cycle Library, which was a four-volume set that taught you the birds and the bees. My mom, looking back on it, was responsible for my first book club because she would have me and my brother read a volume or read a few pages, and then we'd come and meet with mom at the end of the week and talk about what we'd learned about the birds and the bees. And she'd, <laughs> she'd walk us through some of that, as odd as that sounds, as awkward <laughs> as that sounds um uh, but then you know i got to school um in junior high and high school and honestly and i have all kinds of love for teachers my sister's a teacher uh some teachers in my life have been some of the greatest influencers i've ever had but school had a way for me of educating out of me the desire to read and to want to learn oddly and so when i left college i was like thank goodness all the learning is done my mindset was okay learning is finished now i don't have to do that anymore let me just live my life. And it was the furthest thing from a lifelong learner. I spent the entirety of my 20s. I didn't read anything because I'd spent so much time reading things I didn't want to read. But I was at that radio station, the, the last one I worked at that Chris mentioned earlier. And um, I noticed they they were different. They, they were different than all the radio stations I worked at. And many of the stations I worked at before were small town stations. And I was often like um, the, uh, for lack of a better word, the top talent. And I got real comfortable in that. And. Uh, that fed my ego, but I wasn't growing. I wasn't learning. But at that last station, suddenly I'm surrounded by people far much further down the road than, 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 I, than I was. Um, yet they weren't resting on their laurels. They weren't comfortable in it. They were constantly pushing themselves outside their, their comfort zone. The status quo was not allowed. And one of the things I noticed they did was they read all the time. And uh, the general manager even started an, an, an office book club. And that was my introduction to Purple Cow by Seth Godin to Good to Great by Jim Collins, to John Maxwell, to Liz Weissman, to Chris Brogan, uh, even a few years into that. Never
1: heard of him. um, Sounds like a hack.
2: Yeah. So so that (laughs) when I when I first uh, landed on Purple uh, Cow. I'm like, wait a second. And this is embarrassing to admit. It was like I didn't realize there were books like this out there. I mean, I I can I can I can take a problem and I can find someone who's already solved that problem. And they've also written about it in a book and it's all in one place. Really? <laughs> so, so I just, that began my journey. That was around 2003, um, of, of this voracious reading. Um, and I have been, uh, a, an avid reader ever since then. So i about 18 years now.
1: Chloe says that she avoided books for years for the same reason as you. Sounds Mm, like mm. having a love fest over here in the comments as everybody says (laughs) hello to each other. And uh, Elizabeth says Carrie's butter voice feels more like (laughs)
0: crème brûlée.
1: got to crack the top. Mm. Get right into that.
0: Uh, Jeff, so one thing I was thinking about when you were talking about books, book clubs, uh, people Mm. reading books at work, uh, in the corporate environment, I don't know if you've ever – had this experience, but in the corporate environment, there's a thing that happens sometimes where a C level person will fall in love with a book and suddenly we'll all find that book on our desks. And <laughs> right. who moved my cheese? I think nothing every company good. in America, when that came. nothing good comes <laughs> of this, right? Who moved yeah. my cheese is one I got. Uh, the one I got was um, Collins Good to Great. So I read mm-hmm. the book and I'm like, yeah, this is a pretty good book. Like, I don't, but but and I'll, and I'll tell you, this is this is you can. I know what you would have done with this same piece of information. They threw a book at us and said, "Read this book; it'll really change the way our company runs." Guess what? It yeah. didn't do, Jeff. Um, <laughs> it didn't do all those things. <laughs> they skipped the set, like they skipped the details. Mm. So, one, I think mm. that, uh, and we're going to obviously we're going to ask you a billion questions about read the lead, but um, this to me is almost the crux of the scenario because not mm. only just teaching somebody at their house, but convincing corporations that they should get into books is challenging. Uh, because I think they're missing a few steps. Do you want to talk about what people forget when they go to read a book? And you've covered in here, but I just want to know sort of your sketch.
2: Yeah, I think uh, when I think about that specific scenario you described um, and, and all that's wrong with it, um, I, I think instead what leaders need to do, if they want to encourage others within their charge to read, they first have to allow themselves to get caught, to be caught reading. Um, uh, my boss at that last radio station was, was famous for this. I used to think my attitude used to be when I would go to his office to ask a question or meet with him and he was sitting at his desk reading. I used to think to myself, why is he, why is he letting me see him goof off? <laughs> Cause that's how I viewed reading. But over time I realized, no, wait a minute. He's, he doesn't know everything. He's learning. He's growing. He's bettering himself. And as I saw him doing that without any pressure to do it myself, I wanted to know more of what that was about and what he was getting from that. And oftentimes uh, what you'll find when you do that is eventually, and then this takes time, but eventually you'll begin to have other champions or maybe they already exist within your your workplace who um, come along and are also avid readers themselves based on what they've seen you do or maybe they're just already there. And oftentimes when it comes to things like book clubs, um, if that's something that you that you want to do or meet together to discuss a book or suggest a book, it's often going to go over better when it's someone within the ranks doing it versus you know coming down from from on high. But when you can allow yourself to be caught reading, uh, when you can come to meetings and not have all the immediate answers every single time, but say things like, you know what, guys, I was reading this book the other day. About this topic. And I think it's really helpful to our situation that we're facing right now. Here's what I learned. What do you think? You know, when you've done that a dozen times, um, then the next time you suggest a book, um, it's going to be a lot better received than if you just hand it to everybody and say, okay, read this now. Another thing to think about, too, is it's not necessary um, in a lot of cases for everybody to be reading the same book together. I think when it comes right down to it, Just encourage reading, period. Um, You know, what I need to read now for my particular position within the company may be different than what Sally over there needs to read with regard to what she's working on. Maybe she's marketing and maybe I'm sales. And so I want to read some books in and around sales and she wants to read some books in and around market. Well, let's encourage that and not force everybody to have to necessarily be on the same page all the time
0: love it love it we have because i told you right before we went live that if i do it right i'll remember to read a couple ads <laughs> and uh, i sure did i told you we wouldn't sure didn't yeah. so i'm gonna stick you backstage for 60 seconds don't go too too far uh, feel free to grab a beverage we'll uh, do some ads and come right back to you oh we have so much to talk about We're, we haven't even barely scratched the read the Lead book and uh we'll talk about that or the and, billy uh, joel soundalike contest we need to talk about the billy joel soundalike contest <laughs> for sure um I was thinking right before he told what song he did, I was adding what songs I would have done. Like, you know, she's always a woman to me. Or I was trying to think of like, what's a good or bad or weird Billy Joel song? For you, all of them. Uh, Pressure, under pressure. (laughs) I would have done pressure. Uh, hey, you want to make a show like this? You could probably do better than us. All you have to do is get yourself some StreamYard. See Brogan.me slash StreamYard. It's uh, pretty good. You could do video with it. You could do all kinds of show switching, channel swapping. Everyone thought that Carrie was the mechanics behind the show, but it's no, dead. it's just StreamYard. <laughs> I had,
1: like three different offers to co-host other shows right at that time during the pandemic. I was like, you don't need me. You just need StreamYard.
0: You can listen to the Read to Lead podcast anywhere that you can listen to a podcast. And guess what else is also there? our show the backpack show so once you get done listening to a far superior product you can also watch listen to the backpack show that's because we're hosted by castos.com we were a long time user of the other world's most famous hosting company in the world libsyn great people over there great family but my friend matt said hey i work at this brand new podcast hosting company i said great let's do it and you know it's so easy to use. it's so easy you just copy, paste, do some things, copy, paste, you know, add a file and you're done. You're all over the interwebs, this is. Um, hey, would you like a dot .online hey, domain? You get a I online. would. Well, you could get one for $1. See slash <laughs> online. Go to use the code Chris, all caps. You get a, a whole domain name for an entire year for one buckaroo.
1: Listeners at home, that code is all capital letters. Chris.
0: Do you ever think about going to a different search engine than Google? Just Today, I sure do. There you go. Well, you know where you should go. Go to presearch.com. That's okay. a good one. Presearch.com is a search engine where you can stick it to the man um, <laughs> and you can earn crypto awards if you ever remember to log. I don't even know my password on that site anymore. That's how bad I am at it. Presearch.com. <clears throat> hey, our yeah. friend Mitch Jackson is California's leading trial attorney. You can go to streaming.lawyer to get in some help from Mitch Jackson. Are you in California? Are you in a bind? This is your guy, streaming.lawyer. Mitch Jackson is also a super technology bleeding edge kind of guy and super smart. And probably Jeff's had him on the show. Cause you never know. Streaming. He has a book maybe. He, I don't know. He might have, I think he has a book. He has a book. I wrote a chapter or something like that. Hmm. He made me do that. So Carol wants Jeff to
1: know she runs a reading incentive program for kids. So you're going to have to get him out here because she wants to know, do you have any specific tactics you recommend to bring kids who are reluctant readers along to reading? Well, have them read a book about the birds and the bees. Honestly. I don't know. Do <laughs> you do reluctant readers?
0: Uh, do you do kid stuff at all? I don't know if you do. I
2: haven't, I haven't done uh, much uh, kid stuff. Uh, but, um, yeah, to answer that question, I, I think you, you've got to start with interest. I tell adults this. I think it, it, it goes to kids, too. Um, you know, for me, it clicked in junior high when uh, uh, in an English class. And I was given a list of books from which to choose. I was going to have to write a report. And one of those books was The Hobbit. And I just devoured that and later The Lord of the Rings. Um, that was my jam. Uh, when I was younger, it was The Hardy Boys and Encyclopedia Brown and, and stuff like that. So we into mysteries. And so um, ask what the interests are. Uh, if you're an adult, you know, think about, and you're struggling with, with reading on a regular basis, what people excite you, what uh, topics excite you, what events or places excite you, and start there there's a book on those things regardless of the topic or person or place or thing you're able to think of there's going to be books on that so start there and that's going to open up a multitude of paths along the way as you begin to uh, to start that journey
1: we have a couple of other comments as well so besides the everybody loves each other so hello to everyone <laughs> <laughs> chloe says love that so much such a powerful way to create behavioral change without having to lecture or force people, I think, the reading thing. And Carol yeah. says, one of the single best things you can do to turn a child onto reading is find the book that's right for them. So you're talking about, Jeff, mm-hmm. one that ignites passion for them. You know, so it's tough in the business space because in your off hours, you don't necessarily want to reach for that, you know, how to lead more effectively <laughs> book. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you not only like make yourself do it or feel inspired to do it, but inspire others to do it. Is there mm-hmm. like, do you read faster than other people? Like, have you taught yourself speed reading? I want to know the mechanics of this a little bit. How do you get through mm. so many books?
2: Yeah, uh, when it comes to speed reading specifically, my my co-author Jesse is the true expert on that. But one technique related to that that we talk about uh, in the book is this idea of skimming, which which I use oftentimes, especially if I'm considering a book for the show. I'm going to read a book uh, to interview somebody, um, and I first need to just determine if it's a book I feel is. Worthy of inclusion, for lack of a better way of putting it. I never want to be in a situation where I'm in the middle of a book I've already committed to interviewing the author of and I don't like the book. And so I'll use this skimming technique first if I need to determine if this is somebody I truly want to have on the show. And so uh, this is obviously for nonfiction. You're not going to do this with fiction and other other genres necessarily. But with nonfiction, uh, one thing I like about nonfiction is we don't necessarily oftentimes have to start with chapter one. We can go to the table of contents and look at the chapter titles that are of particular interest to us. And often we can start there. And I'll do that first uh, in, 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 in the case of skimming. Then I'll read the, the, sub, uh, the headings and the subheadings from beginning of chapter to the end of chapter, wrap my head around what it is the author's trying to convey. Then I go back to the beginning of the chapter and I read the first sentence and the last sentence of each paragraph. And once I've done those two things or three things, table of contents, go to the chapter where I want to start or chapters I want to want to hone in on, read the headings and subheadings, and then the first and last sentence of each paragraph, I now have, in most cases, about 80% of the author's message. And so that's a great way to get through a whole lot of book in a lot less time.
0: Your uh, comments about skimming, some, some of this is covered in Read the Lead, by the way, but I was uh, one of my favorite chapters in the book was eight, uh, which was how to really immerse yourself and sink yourself into the book. And that's a that's a tactic that I've been using ever since I started picking up journaling in earnest. Uh, I realized that mm. if I want to write the parts of books that I really want to remember, and I want to I want to kind of have a couple of notes that say this is why I got into this book in the first place. So mm. uh, I wanted to know your sort of thoughts on immersing, and just you know what what are some of the other skills that you've picked up around that skill?
2: Yeah, I think first when you, know, you get ready to read a book, you have to answer. Uh, a very uh, critical question, and that's what do I want to get from this book? Um, You know, it's beginning with the end in mind, as Stephen R. Covey says. So what do I want to get out of it? And that's going to inform, uh, as I was alluding earlier, as to where you might begin, what chapters uh, you might start with. But to your point, uh, for me, my note-taking processes have have morphed, have have, uh, uh, evolved over the years. Um, I do all my note-taking by hand, Uh, I'm not typing any notes. Um, I'd never even go to my notes later and type them up at any point. Uh, There's the science, the studies uh, that I read tell me that there is something special about that process when it comes to retention and comprehension. Um, I've since moved to a a non-paper tool that we'll talk about later uh, for that, but all of my note taking is by hand something that I've forced myself to do uh, more recently, and this was through the process of writing the book that I don't even think is touched on in the book specifically. When I read a chapter, I limit myself to just making markings when I make the first pass. And so um, that'll be an asterisk or a star for something that is particularly important that I want to, to dig into more deeply. And then I continue reading. Might be a question mark for something I'm not sure I understand, or maybe it's something I'm not sure I agree with. And maybe a cue for a particularly pithy quote or something like that. And then I get to the end of the chapter. And now my next you know, session of 25 or 50 minutes, I use the Pomodoro technique, um, is to now just take notes. So I, in that next session, I just go back to those markings. And now I'm just doing the note taking. So that first session for 25 or 50 minutes was just reading and simple markings. The next session is just note taking. So, that's helped me tremendously with comprehension and retention. And one other thing I'll mention that I've tried that some people think is just crazy. um, And I believe this is mentioned in the book, but if it's not, it's worth adding. Uh, And that is combining two mediums. I first did this with Brendan Burchard's high performance habits. I had the audiobook and the physical book. And I put the audiobook of Brendan on one and a half or 1.75 speed and followed along in the physical book as Brendan read it to me. It's kind of, speed reading by cheating. <laughs> it's, it's one way to think about it. Yeah, you know, we do this thing as adults, oftentimes called sub vocalization. We talk about this in the book as well. When you're when you're a kid and where kids were taught to read aloud and sound words out aloud. And as we carry that into adulthood, when we read to ourselves, we can often get stuck and, and slow down the process by literally sounding out every word in our minds as we read. That's that's sub vocalization. And so that little trick kind of helps me get past that. It forces me to consume the information far faster sometimes than I could do at my own pace by speeding up the the, the, the voiceover or the author who's reading it, but then f- literally reading along, following along as, as I'm going. So those two mediums, those two processes combined simultaneously to me have, has helped tremendously with retention and with comprehension. And by the way, all I have time to do is make those markings, right? I don't have time to to do much else. But when, the, when I get to the end of the chapter or the end of a section, then I'll stop. And that's when I, I do that 25 or 50 minute, no taking session.
1: Subvocalization vocalization in Boston made something completely different. It's like when you want to talk smack <laughs> to somebody, but you don't want to like get in a fight right now. You do it quietly. <laughs> right, that's what it is. <laughs> so you had a whole bunch of comments come in while we were talking. Um, mm. one was about audiobooks, which I think you just touched on a little bit. So you do listen mm. to audiobooks just a little bit faster than yeah. normal. And then Carol had asked, how do you feel about quitting books midway? Do you feel guilt? She does not.
2: I love that, Carol. I used to. Yes, I used to. Um, and when I started my podcast, as recently as eight years ago, I would, Chris, uh, I, may have did, I may have done this with you because you were on the show like 25 episodes in or something like that. Um, I used to think I had to ask a, the author a question out of a- every chapter. And so I would read the book from cover to cover. Um, And going back to that question, I, I suggest you ask yourself before, what do I want to get out of this book? When you answer that question, you now have permission to stop reading once you've definitively answered it. Once you've gotten out of the book what you said you wanted to get out of it before you began reading, once you get there, that may be three chapters, it may be 17 chapters. Once you get to that point, give yourself permission to stop. I consider that a book I've read, even if it may only be four or five chapters, because I've identified what I want to get out of it. And now I've gotten that out of it. I can set it aside and count that as a red book because I got what I want.
1: Do you see Chris pulled the ultimate flex and went and pulled a handwritten journaled quote of his own (laughs) and displayed Ah, it on the screen while you were talking? Love it.
0: Yes, (laughs) it was don't settle, don't finish crappy books. If you don't like the menu, leave the restaurant. And if you're not on the right path, get off it.
1: It's my show and I'll quote myself if I want to. Damn straight, babies. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Martin wants to know what kind of pen you use for reading and then note taking.
2: Um, I used to use um, it was a uh, friction pen with erasable ink, Um, but now I use uh, something called a marker plus that comes uh, with a paper tablet that I now use for uh, note taking. So it's proprietary to that to that device.
1: Well, that's just fancy.
0: (laughs) Very fancy. That's just fancy. Um. I was I was eagerly awaiting this book because of you. I'm, I like you. I consider you a friend. I, I wanted to read the book because you wrote it. But it's interesting. It made me think of another book. Um, there's there's books that come out every now and again that are sort of like, why should we still be reading? And I always think, mm. I'm never going to write a book like that, let alone I'm never going to buy a book like that. So one yeah. was, it was a 250-page <laughs> book on why we should read Moby Dick. And I was like, I don't think I'd read 250 pages. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I think also... This book says, here's how you could use these in masterminds. Here's how you could use these in Mm. coaching. Here's how you could use this in business. That's different. Mm. There's some real instruction. And I think a lot of people think they're reading books, but I don't think they're reading books until they've read how you do it in the read the lead Mm. process with you and Jesse's book.
2: That's very kind of you. Thank you. I don't have a question.
0: Well, I think a lot of,
2: I'll comment on that. I think a lot of leaders uh, particularly um, get to a place where once they've got some experience and some accomplishments under their belt, they stop doing the things that got them to that successful place, right? And it's interesting, when I started the Read to Lead podcast, I kind of envisioned myself reaching people who were in their 20s and 30s and looking to move up the ladder. And I wanted to uh, share that reading was a great way to quicken the pace, quicken your, your journey um, and, and, and eliminate some of the headaches. And as I've done the podcast now, eight plus years, I've interacted with many who have participated in various programs that I've offered over the years, people who are presidents and CEOs and entrepreneurs and pastors and leaders of all stripes. And I, and I discovered, okay, these are people who are already successful regardless of how you might want to define that. And they recognize that in uh, consistent and intentional reading as one of those things they, they know they need to keep doing if they want to remain successful. Um, and, and that's why I continue the podcast and, and, and it's sort of a bite-sized way to consume a book. It's sort of an audio cliffs notes. but I also knew that I wanted that to be an on-ramp to me if that's all that you're doing with regard to books, that's not enough oftentimes. Your gateway um, drug. Yeah, it's it's a hopefully exactly a gateway to and then the book is the next logical step is to say okay, Let's let's now that we've sort of gotten a little little hint of what our taste of what this is like. Let's let's go a little deeper. And as you said, Chris, and thank you for saying it, let's make sure we're doing all the right things to not just fill our head with information, but also uh, in cases where it's warranted, understand how we're going to execute and implement on the stuff that we've learned in the first place.
1: So it can't be all books and reading and self-improvement all the time. There has to be like (laughs) the occasional Billy Joel sandalike contest thrown in there.
2: (laughs) Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a, uh, I haven't done much karaoke over the years though. Uh, here more recently I have and it's a lot of fun. Um, something I super, super enjoy, but, um, usually only do with close friends and with, uh, a, a little bit of, uh, uh, drink in me, shall we say? And I'm pretty sure you keep the title
1: um, <laughs> forever, Jeff. <so. laughs>
2: but, uh, but yeah, back in the day I used to sell cars for a living and I was on my way to my job and I listened to a radio station that I hoped to someday work for. I would later get offered a job by them and end up turning it down. I would never would have thought I would have done that, but I'm listening to this radio station and Billy Joel and Elton John are coming to town and they're doing a contest, a soundalike contest. If you can call us right now and sing your favorite Billy Joel or Elton John song and convince us you sound just like them, you could win tickets. And so I did that. I sang, you may be right. Uh, part of a verse and, and a chorus and uh, got to work and they called me back and said, hey, you're, you're our Billy Joel guy. So the, the the funnest part of that, not just the concert, but was then the next day, getting up early in the morning and hanging out with the morning show and jumping into the station van and going around Indianapolis, Indiana and surprising people with concert tickets. And I had to dress like Billy Joel, which meant jeans and, and a sport coat. And the person the the, the Elton John sounded like had to you know dress like Elton John.
1: You got the better so end we, of the bad deal? Yeah. yeah.
2: We <laughs> pretended to be them while we met fans and gave away uh, concert tickets. I do remember, this was kind of fun. Chris, you'll appreciate this. Um, I, I, I was there in the van with the, the guy who was doing sports. Uh, and he would do the sports remotely from the van. Um, and I can't remember exactly what was going on. But I in, in the moment, he and I got together. And I would take Billy Joel songs, uh, uh, You May Be a Woman. Um, I think, was that the name of the song? She's always a woman. She's Not always you may a be woman. woman. Mm-hmm. She's always a woman. And I would take songs like that and I would rewrite the lyrics from what was going on in the sports world um, and then sing them as Billy Joel and deliver the sports <laughs> through the song. So, so that was just that was just a lot of fun. And I really enjoyed uh, that. And I, I just knew then that I was uh, I was destined for a radio career. I didn't know what that was going to look like, but I had too much fun not to pursue that more more deliberately.
0: <laughs> she may be a woman was actually the uh, title of my dating experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you're unbelievable. You so, are.
2: I was mixing you. Yellow card brogan. No, what else is new?
1: Unbelievable.
0: How to do it. Um, listen, I want to ask one last thing and then we gotta kick you out of here because that's what we do. Okay. Um, so you have this <laughs> podcast I've heard of um for a, a thousand and six years, I think, at this point. <laughs> um you're up to three hundred and eighty three episodes because that's what it tells me when I click on your page. Mm. Um Stephen M. R. Covey, by the way, good get. Um, it is interesting to me that you've, you've run this gamut for so long because <laughs> there's always going to be so many people with a book. There's, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's, never going to not be books. People have a fascination around books and, and the people who want to put out these books, they really have this need to kind of show their thought leadership and all that.
1: People who come up with nine books have an incredible need. Or idiots. I know we're like cat ladies.
0: So. <laughs> Sort of my last question, as it relates to the podcast, you're almost 400 episodes in it, you act like it never gets old. What do you do to keep it fresh? And what do you look for now that you weren't looking for 382 episodes ago? Mm.
2: Oh, great question. Um, Yep. I'm always uh, pursuing uh, things that interest me personally. Um, I think it's important in the podcast space that that be a part of your journey, Yes, uh, the listener is important and very, very important, Uh, but if you're not excited about what you're doing, the listener is going to sense that and they're not going to stick around for very long. So you do have to be excited about what you're doing. So that means uh, to kind of give an example in the last two or three years, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of authors who've written books about mindset. I've talked to a lot of authors who've written books uh, in or around or related to public speaking. Um, and, and those are a couple of topics that, um, personally, I am always wanting to learn more about or recently wanting to learn more about. So, so i I gravitate to books like that doesn't, doesn't mean that every episode is about that, but when I can sprinkle those kinds of things in along the, along the journey every so often, that keeps it interesting. Um, you know, 18 years ago, I, I, I adopted that, that sort of view of lifelong learning and, and constantly pushing myself outside my my comfort zone. I, 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 I don't want to live, you know, the Bronnie Ware talks about the five regrets of the dying and the number one regret being, you know, getting to the end of the life of your life and realizing you lived a life that everybody else thought you should live rather than a life true to yourself. And I did that for a really, really long time. That was why I started in music. If I'm being honest, because that's what everybody else said I should do. And it took me a while to figure out I, I need to do what, what, what's right for, for Jeff. And that's how the radio career started. But then, you know, 26 years into that, I thought, you know, this is not doing it for me anymore, but I had to learn, okay, what's that next thing? What, what am I, what is that going to look like? Oh, it's going to be working on my own. I'm afraid to do that. Well, let me read some books on, you know, how to make that transition and that sort of thing. So, um, I don't think I'm ever going to tire of learning and reading and growing. And, um, because again, I know it's going to continue to push me outside my comfort zone And I believe that every day should be lived that way. Uh, I think Eleanor Roosevelt said, do one thing every day that scares you. And so I try to live like that. Maybe tomorrow it's ride a roller coaster that I have to go upside down on five times. And maybe the next day it's, you know, give a talk to 10,000 people. Uh, But that's where the magic happens. So that's where I want to stay.
1: Just looking for We had a couple more people come in. So they're saying hello. Hi, Deb. Hi, everybody.
2: Yes. yes audiobooks <laughs> count as reading yes
1: <laughs> yes audiobooks well that's largely what i found myself consuming during the pandemic was actually audiobooks because i could do other mm-hmm. things like while i listened
0: i went through a time uh, throughout the pandemic where reading just wasn't like my capability for it was so low my capacity mm-hmm. i was just like oh, i can't put my head on this right now mm-hmm. uh, but i'm back and uh i, I do a mix mm-hmm. of audio and uh and I do a mix of audio Kindle and physical. I do physical. If I think I'm going to have to rip pieces of this book and, and, and yeah. hold them for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, like, I think I'm possibly going to need some diagramming help because, you know, obviously Kindle is <laughs> you know, just not as good. Um, But yeah, very fascinating. There's so much. I mean, I want to interview. Probably the best way to say about an interview is that you weren't as thorough. And so you could ask you back for another time. But (laughs) we're at our spot in the show where we do a couple things. So here's one.
2: Oh, and here's our person of the day.
0: Kaboom. So uh, let's see. What shall we do for a person of the day? You know what? I I think. Oh, sorry. Words coming in. Okay.
1: You got to pick somebody.
0: I don't even know what that is or you could let me uh i'm picking martin you know why i'm picking martin because what a strange qu- what pen do you use well because i have a podcast about <laughs> pens so ah, that's what i do love it love it um uh, and then i have uh one question that we ask every guest but oh guess who showed up hello Jeff, what was it like co-authoring a book? I heard that the guy you partner with can be really difficult to work with. Jesse Wisniewski is the co-author of Read the Lead. Jeff, I think you should answer this one. Well, yes, I said please this to, answer.
2: I said this to Jesse uh, in an interview the other day. I think it was, an or said it to, maybe I said it to him privately, but I cannot imagine the process, and I mean this, having gone any more smoothly. Now, I have nothing to compare it to. I've never co-authored a book with somebody before. But uh, I'd be hard-pressed to think it could have gone any better. Uh, Jesse was a breeze to work with. Uh, we took very much a divide-and-conquer type approach uh, to writing the book. He had um, his uh, talents. I had mine. They, uh, we had the talents that overlapped and the, the ones that didn't complement each other very, very well. And so that's, that's worked out both in the writing of the book and now since the book has been written and we're in sort of promotion mode, I have found that our talents once again complement each other. And that's just been... A great thing to have as part of this uh, journey
1: let me hit this button boop okay we're off the air you can tell us the truth now <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's the truth
0: <laughs> if it were only that easy all right <laughs> so, so we did our person of the day and that means we are a, a question we've asked every guest that's ever been on the mm. show which is what goes in your backpack. This could be something physical. It could be something metaphorical. It could be something like an avocado. It could be something like hope for the future. Carrie, what's a physical mm-hmm. thing that people have put in a backpack before?
1: Whiskey Nate suggested taking a book you hate because if it's the only book you have, eventually you'll read it
0: and learn something mm. from it. Hmm. Mm. I don't like that. Um, <laughs> what's the thing? You
1: wouldn't, because your whole quote is about yeah, not finishing stop reading books, books, books. You don't like.
0: Ah, Wisniewski. Um, That's a good <laughs> purse. What's, a, what's something metaphorical you could add to a backpack, carry?
1: Mm, I think kindness.
0: Kindness sounds like a good one. Mm. Now, Jeff Brown, uh, host of the Read the Lead podcast, co-author of the book Read the Lead, uh, this five feature book with Jesse Wisniewski. What's a, a thing we want to add to the backpack for people's future success over the next coming years? Uh,
2: something that I just acquired a couple of months ago. is a paper tablet called uh, The Remarkable 2, very thin. Um, I used to have all my notes from books and different uh, notebooks and notepads, and used to have my pl- a physical planner that I love, but now it's all, every bit of it is right here. Um, and that pen that I mentioned earlier, the Marker Plus, is proprietary to that device. Uh, and the thing about the Remarkable, and it's not a commercial for the Remarkable book, but, but <laughs> um, it, it, it's very much like writing on paper. Uh, it very much uh, uh, imitates that feeling. And it does one thing there's no apps you can download for this. It's not going to be any distraction. It's just for note taking and for reading uh, and marking up PDFs and EPUB formatted uh, books. But I've, I've had it for two months. Love it. Got my wife one. She loves it. Um, and so that's, that's the tool that is really helping me a lot in, uh, in just keeping everything together and keeping on top of, of what I'm writing.
0: I and mean, she says she loves it. Well, it's a strict <laughs> um, bare bones, fake paper notebook for Uh, so it better be pretty remarkable you're a marketing guy I can't believe you of all
1: people don't appreciate like the brilliance of that that's like the first person who bottled
0: water right (laughs) guys you're not gonna believe this (laughs) ah jeff brown uh yeah i was very lucky to have uh parents who read all the time fat fat libraries full of great books and also forbidden Mm. books which made it so much better because you know it's the only (laughs) thing you're going to try to read so what you're not supposed to read Mm. um grandfather also is uh you know edgar rice burroughs tarzan you know john carter mars and all that uh by contrast i'll tell you my grandmother was uh i don't think i ever saw her read a book in her life maybe she did maybe she read romance book every now and again or something. She was a TV person. So I would be reading John Carter and Mars, but I'd also be watching